Martin Niemöller, who wrote the piece that I think many of you recognize for the chalice lighting today, first they came for the socialists, and I was not a socialist. So I did not speak out. Was a Protestant minister in Germany who in the early years of the rise of the Nazi regime was sympathetic to that movement and thought it was a good thing. I, I actually knew someone in my life who lived in Germany at that time and also thought it was a good thing at the beginning and then later realized it wasn't. I had the pleasure of getting to know someone who had that experience. Anyway, Niemöller was a Protestant minister who at first was sympathetic and then became totally sure that he had made a huge mistake and became one of the leading opponents of that regime uh, and was part of a group of German clergy who opposed that regime. He was eventually arrested and spent seven years in a concentration camp but he survived that experience and lived for quite a number of years after the war and became a leading voice for German self-examination and penance. And his famous lament has been read publicly on countless occasions in many different circumstances and it's on display at the Holocaust Memorial Museum in Jerusalem. I don't read it today to say that we are in exactly that situation. That's not my point. It's a universal message to everyone in any situation where anyone's rights are threatened. And it stands as a warning and a critique, I think, for all of us in all times everywhere that we do need to speak up sometimes. And that if we don't, there are consequences to leaving out that important part of life. Two of my Jewish friends, Rabbi Daniel Bogard and Susan Katz of the Jewish Federation, some of you may know either one or both of them, have both recently spoken publicly about how they as Jews deeply feel the position of Muslims in America. It is such an amazing thing to listen to them, these two people who are both on leading edge of Judaism, say that they know what Muslims feel like. What an amazing statement. What an amazing crossing of boundaries. And when they speak, you get that they do understand it. It's, it's really from the heart. And it surprises people sometimes to hear them, but it really makes perfect sense. The Jewish people know intimately what it feels like to be the designated scapegoats of a society, to be the one that everything is blamed on, to have one's property vandalized, as one of our mosques was about a week or 10 days ago. They know what that's like. To be, some, to be sometimes treated unequally and unfairly by the very laws that are supposed to protect everyone equally. 
So it's very moving to hear my Jewish friends describe these feelings and to hear in their voices the authenticity of their compassion and solidarity with Muslims. Isn't that a rather amazing thing? About a year ago, we had an evening at the Islamic Foundation Mosque. It's out by Pioneer Parkway and Knoxville. And we gathered together, they invited the community in. There were about 700 of us in that room. I know some of you are here today. And they had to actually turn people away at the end because everybody who wanted to get in, they literally didn't have enough room for everybody. And there we were gathered in peace, Muslims, Jews, Christians. You use there everywhere you go to this kind of thing. You know, there are lots of you use. It just, boy, I love that. People of other faiths, people of no religious faith whatsoever. Clergy people, lay people, the police were there. The city council and the mayor were there. There were women with headscarves and women with no headscarves. There were adults and kids. It was an evening of support, and to me, it was an evening of transcendence, a moment of actually feeling what peace is. It's great to talk about peace, but on that night, I don't know about, I could feel this is peace. This is peace when everybody's in this room and we're just enjoying being together and nobody's going nuts about it. It's a powerful, it's a powerful feeling. And it feels good. Right now in our culture, the Muslims are the designated scapegoats, or at least by some segment of our society. Now, they're not the only group in America that suffers injustice. I don't want to say that at all. There are other injustices going on in our society, and they need our attention. But right now, the Muslims are sort of in the scapegoat seat. In a country that is famous for its human rights, we are the beacon to the world of liberty and justice for all. In a country that holds those ideals but often falls short, sometimes in blatant ways, right now they are in the hot seat. So the Muslim travel ban that, I think each one of those words is contested right now, but the travel ban that last weekend was placed on the seven Muslim countries is the latest incident to make this clear. And it should not have totally surprised us because the guy who enacted that ban said probably a hundred or more times that he would ban all Muslims from the United States. So this is, should not be a big shock to us. And of course you can't do that specifically on Muslims, so the ban as it came forth was for seven Muslim countries. And there's much discussion about the ins and outs and the legality and all this, and 
I'm just not going to try to explain that because I don't think I'm the right person to explain it. But it is interesting to note that no American has ever been killed by a terror attack from any one of those seven countries. That's an interesting fact, certainly, in the, in the whole thing. So that's strange. So without going into the legal jousting that's going on, let me just say that it has been extraordinarily disruptive to countless families, to businesses whose employees can't get in, to students who can't get back to school, airports that got jammed, and of course now they can get back in for a while, but that's being contested too. So it's a kind of chaos, really. It's a kind of chaos. On the face of it, it appears to me at least that it's biased and discriminatory, but I want to remind you what I said during the welcome, that is you don't have to agree with me on that. But that's my sense of it. And it appears to be religious discrimination in the opinion of many legal scholars, or at least I think six judges so far. If you see this differently, then let's go get a coffee or a latte and I'd be glad to listen to you. In 1992, a man named Samuel Huntington put forward a theory about what's going on in the world. And the theory was that the post-Cold War world was entering a time that he called the clash of civilizations. And what he said is now that the Cold War is over, there's going to be a big competition in the world for which culture is going to emerge as the dominant culture. And there are a number of different cultures who could be candidates for that, but particularly concerning to us in the West is that it would be a clash between the largely Christian democratic Western nations and Islam. And so there would be an ongoing clash of civilizations. I know you've heard that term probably. To see between those two cultures to see who would dominate the other culture. This is this theory called the clash of civilizations. So in this way of looking at things, we are involved, we in the West are involved in a struggle with Islam, sort of to the death, you know, who's going to win? And it has a cultural dimension, and it has a military dimension too. So there are wars that are going to get fought over this and really already have been fought all over this, and they will continue. And in this model of history, you have the good guys and the bad guys. And in our culture, then if you follow this idea, we are the good guys and the Muslims are the bad guys. And you can see off sometimes in movies that they get portrayed, you know, kind of dark. Even cartoons, by the way. I don't know if that's still going on, but I remember many cartoons where the bad guy was obviously uh, a Muslim. Now, from the point of view of... Uh, Terrorists in the world, it's exactly the opposite. They're going to take over the world, and we are the bad guys. 
And so you have a good guy, bad guy thing that is the dominant reality in our part of the world. And you know how these movies, you know, you've seen these movies. These movies end up with a big battle at the end, don't they? It's usually about 20 minutes of a battle scene at the end of the movie and everything gets blown up, right? Lots of people get killed and the good guys win, although they lose a lot of the good guys in the process. And we all somehow go out of the theater with some kind of catharsis that, that took place. So this clash of civilizations, I think, you know, it ends up in war. That's where it goes. Or maybe just a continual kind of war. So groups like ISIL, for example, and Al-Qaeda believe that model. You wonder why they do stuff, they're in that war. And they, we are the bad guys. And it's also true that there are people in our country who believe that model too. And a lot of them are in positions of power. And have been off and on for quite a while, who have that model a clash of civilizations of the world. And if you think about it that way, the war, some of the wars we've enacted in the last 20 years, you can see why they might have gotten started, because it's part of that process. We're in it. Well, what about our friends at the mosque? Do they appear to be evil? This has not struck me as being true. I don't see them as evil. As a matter of fact, as far as I can tell, they're just as good people as we are. And I've thought about that too, and I believe they are as good as we are. They're different, there's no doubt about that. Undoubtedly, they're not perfect and like everyone else, they have faults, and I don't agree with them about everything by a long shot. But overall, they're gracious, welcoming, moral people, and when we were there that night, I don't think anybody could have doubted that. I don't see how anybody could have thought that, that somehow that was an evil culture. So how can they be our enemies in some great cultural war? I personally just don't buy that theory. I don't think that's... I buy that people believe it and act that way, but I don't think that's any kind of a path for us to be on. That, that doesn't lead anywhere good. Not at all. So I want to propose today that the theory that the Muslims are our mortal enemies is not only deeply flawed, but very dangerous, and at its basis, completely un-American. It's not in accord with our values. This is a country founded largely on immigration, not for Native Americans or African Americans, of course. They are also victims of discrimination, but for countless other Americans, immigration is how their families got here. The statue in the harbor says, give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. And then there's that light. This is the light of freedom for all these people. Come here, you will have a chance. You will be accepted. You will have the same rights as everyone else. You'll be free from oppression 
That is the theory. And one of those rights is freedom of religion. That's one of the sacred rights that this country is based on, is freedom of religion. You should be free to practice your own religion. So I must say, to me, the action to ban Muslims runs profoundly opposite to the promise of America. Now, I know it's not all Muslims, and I know it's presented as a ban from specific countries, but that's the underlying discussion, and I think it, I don't see how else, I don't see how you could miss that, not after listening to hundreds and hundreds of speeches that say that. Now, so I don't argue that our security professionals need to do their jobs. You know, when I go through the security at the airport, it's irritating. But I'm grateful for those people. I am glad they are there. I'm glad that they're protecting us. And I support them. But there are limits on what techniques security forces should use. Like, for example, torture is one of those limits. We always have limits on this kind of exercise of power. And religious discrimination is another one. You can't stop somebody and say, are you a Unitarian? This is what our country was founded on, is that people came here and could be free. They're free to practice religions that we don't even agree with. I want to propose to you today that this travel ban will not make us safer. It doesn't make us safer. In fact, it makes the world a more dangerous place. The world is more dangerous now than it was before this action got initiated and now suspended and now there's a big fight over it. The world has gotten more dangerous because what the travel ban says to Muslims all over the world is that the hardliners are right and the Americans hate us. That's what it says. We can read the tea leaves. I mean, we can understand how those thought patterns work. Can't we? That's what the travel ban says. The hardliners are right and the Americans do hate us. Boy, what a horrible message to send out if you want to have peace on earth. The travel ban proves to many observers all over the world that this is true. And that we are in fact locked in a struggle against enemies that is getting worse. That's what the travel ban says. I personally wouldn't want to send that message. It increases tension. It increases anxiety. It increases mistrust. It makes people want to retaliate. And then we want to retaliate back. The probability of war goes up and the probability of peace goes down. Not only are we putting up a giant neon sign that says Americans hate Muslims, 
I know nobody said that officially, but that's what it says on the neon sign in people's minds. There's another neon sign right next to it that says no refugees allowed. How does, what message does that send to the world? It says Americans have no compassion. That's what it says. It's not that hard to figure out, is it? That's what it says. It says Americans have no compassion and don't care. I don't think that's what Americans are like. That's not my experience of Americans. The latest uh, cover of the New Yorker magazine has a picture of the Statue of Liberty with the torchlight burnt out. And there's a little wisp of smoke going up where the flame used to be. That's the cover of the New Yorker. No longer the land of freedom. Now you might say, well, that's, an, I don't know, maybe that sounds like an exaggeration, but that's what Niemöller is warning us about. That's what he's saying. What a tragic image. The loss of our most precious quality as a nation, that we are the land of freedom. What a glorious thing to be. Martin Luther King put it so well. He said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We may think that this is not our struggle. That's what Niemöller thought earlier in his life, but it is our struggle because human rights and civil rights either exist in America or they don't exist in America, and that affects every single one of us in this room. Everyone. And this is going to be a test of our culture. Are we going to be a land of liberty and justice for all, or are we going to be a land of hypocrisy? You can't have liberty and justice for all for only some people. There is a flaw in that outlook. America at its best is a fabulous and inspiring experiment. Can we truly respect the worth and dignity of all people? Is it possible to live that way? Can we do that? If we're going to do it, then our Muslim neighbors will have to be full partners in this experiment. In the words of Reverend William Barber of the Moral Mondays movement, it has to be a fusion coalition. It has to be everybody. Everybody in and nobody out. That is our best hope. And that is the most dependable way to be safe. That movie of The Clash ends with a giant battle every time. That's, you can write that script. You can say, well, we're about an hour and 20 minutes into the movie. The battle scene is coming up. And you know that's what's going to happen. So I believe that the path of hope is for us to stand for our Muslim neighbors in their struggle for few, full human rights. We need to make them our friends and not our enemies. That doesn't mean we, do, we agree with Muslims on everything they believe in. It doesn't mean that we don't prosecute people who break the laws of the country, like 
But not just for being Muslims or being from a certain place. We need to honor their rights if we want to have a culture of human rights. I don't see any other way that will work. There's no weapon strong enough to create peace. Only doing peace creates peace. So, in this time where we're at a cultural crossroads, let us be people who stand on the side of love, the side of compassion, the side of justice. And let us be champions of human equality and freedom. All the other paths lead to more tension and eventually armed conflict. Let us not wait until that day comes. Let us be clear right now in the present moment that we stand for full human rights for all people. And let us be good neighbors and let us welcome the refugees. Let us relight the torch in the harbor that says to the world, let the people come here. We welcome them. And here you will find freedom and dignity and full human rights. Let us make that dream our daily life. So may it be.